Second Timothy was a, an epistle or a book that was or a letter that was written to a young pastor. And the writer, the Apostle Paul, knew that his life was coming to an end. He'd been in prison so many times, and now he's in prison possibly for the last time. And he knows this. And he's, he's poured his life into several men, Timothy being one. And he's left them in certain places to pastor churches and to, and, and to stand in the gap for the people. To do the things, do the work of a pastor teacher. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, actually in all of 2 Timothy, but chapter 3, he, he focuses on something that, of incredible significance for you and I. And we'll look at that here in just a moment. But in 2 Timothy in general, he talks about things that are going to be happening as we move through time and we get closer to the Lord's return and how people are going to act, sometimes people in the church, and that pastors and elders and, and believers, really, all of us, need to be ready to confront those things, to guard the church from those things. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he, he kind of zeroes in on some exciting verses. I want to read them to you. So let's read the whole of chapter 3. I'll do the reading, you do the listening, but follow along. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Paul says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. And listen, I mean, it's, he's describing our world. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power, avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men who oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres folly was also. Now listen. Now you, Timothy, and others, all of us, now you followed my teaching, my conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Now listen. Listen to verse 16 and 17 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All scripture. Verse 16 and 17 are two of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament. And they bring us to and challenge us in our position of what we think about the book that's sitting on your lap or on the table in front of you. What do you think about it? And what we ought to be doing with that book and what it's capable of doing in our lives because it's unique, powerful. And verse 16 begins, and there are some things we're going to see today. We're going to see that Scripture is inspired. We're going to see that Scripture is profitable. We're going to see that Scripture is for edifying and equipping. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, so how do we put this into practice? Because that's a critical part. Learning more things and putting more things in our mind is one thing, but applying it to our lives is where the rubber meets the road. And so I want to delve into verses 16 and 17 here in just a moment. But, you know, when it says all scripture, it means exactly what it says. It means all scripture, not just those passages that you enjoy, not just those that are doctrinal, but not historical or not scientific or whatever. It, it, It says all scripture. All scripture is inspired And so when the Bible speaks to a subject, it speaks with authority. It speaks with accuracy. It speaks with power. We need to remember that. All scripture is inspired of God. And it says all. So remember that. But I always found it interesting, just parenthetically, just to take a step back for a moment. I always found it quite interesting. And I want to show you a few verses to justify my point. I've always found it very interesting what the scripture says about itself. And so I want you to look at a few passages with me. Keep your finger there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are going to move around a little bit today, so uh, be some some New Testament uh, calisthenics a little bit as you move through and see if you know where certain Bible verses are at or uh, chapters are at. But I want you to turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Remember the context now. We're talking about what the Bible says about the Bible. What's it say about itself? 2 Peter chapter 1 Verses 20 and 21. In fact, I read them to you just a little while ago, but let me read them to you again and make a comment or two about them. Here's the first thing I want you to see about what the Bible says about itself. Peter says, know this first of all, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So 
So that means that that book that's laying on your lap is not something that's human generated. It's not something that somebody sat down and decided someday they were going to write scripture. The Second Timothy says it's something that happens when God moves in the in the in the heart and the mind of the of the writers. Now that doesn't mean that he changed their vocabulary. He used their vocabulary. He used their intellect. He used who they were, but he used them to write inerrant scripture. It's the first thing I want you to see. Now turn back over to First Timothy. Excuse me. First, um, yep, that is correct. First Timothy chapter five and verse seventeen. Remember what the Bible says about itself. First Timothy chapter five and verse seventeen says this. Paul again talking to Timothy, and he's helping him to. He's helping him in in First Timothy to to set down the foundation and the boundaries and the guidelines for setting up a church. And he talks in 1 Timothy 3 about selection of certain leaders, deacons and elders, and it's, it's very detailed. It's not confusing, it's very specific, and you follow those guidelines, then you have deacons and elders. And, that, and, and God was very specific as he moved the Apostle Paul to share those Specifics, those guidelines. Throughout the whole of, of 1 Timothy, he, he lays down those things, talking about honoring widows and, and other things that the churches need to be doing. But listen to verse 17 and 18 in the context of what we were talking about, what the Bible says about itself. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 says this, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now look at verse 18. For the scripture says, so he's about to quote scripture. The scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. That's Deuteronomy. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. That's Luke. The gospel of Luke. Paul, in 1 Timothy, calls the gospel of Luke scripture. You see it? Interesting. Now, Hopefully you kept your finger in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but I want you to jump past it and go all the way back to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I want to show you some more, verse, some more verses, some more, one more section where Paul talks about, excuse me, Peter talks about the scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 10. I promise we're going to get to 2 Timothy chapter 3 here in just a moment. 2 Peter, chapter 3, and verse 10. Peter says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which, excuse me, will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So he's talking about the return of Christ. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So much to say about these verses, but we're going to move forward. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will, be, will, be, will melt with intense heat, but according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Won't that be a great day? A new heavens and a new earth. And those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ will reside there forever and ever. And there's so much more talked about throughout the New Testament in the book of Revelation about what that's going to look like and what we're going to be doing and, and specifics 
as we go forward from today until that day. But we'll not look at those today. But I want you to look at verse 14 through 16. Remembering we're talking about what the Bible says about itself. Peter says this, Therefore, beloved, in verse 14, since you look for these things, the coming of Christ, the setting up of his kingdom, because you're looking for those, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Live for Christ. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Again, <laughs> that one phrase warrants a comment or two. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Have you ever asked, why haven't you come? Where are you, Lord? Look at what's going on around us. Come, Lord Jesus. Why haven't you come yet? Peter reminds us, regard that tarrying, that patience, as an opportunity for the lost to be saved. God waits so that more can come into the kingdom. Because on that day when he shuts it down, those opportunities will be gone. And so as you're praying for Jesus to come, be reminded that because he's not here yet, it gives you opportunity to share with your neighbors, with your loved ones, with those that you work with, whomever it might be, the good news of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Now here it comes. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, the second coming of Christ, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also, what? The rest of the scriptures. Peter called Paul's letters scripture. I just find that so interesting that already in the New Testament, folks saw that Scripture was being written in their midst. So, go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we will begin to look at verse 16 in depth. The first thing I want you to see is there at the very first part of verse 16. As we begin, let me just read the whole verse together again. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. The first thing that we see is that the scripture is inspired. All scripture is inspired by God. The word in the Greek is theopneustos. It means God breathed. It means... It, it means God's breath. I mean, it, when you speak, you use your breath to do it, and, 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 and what comes out are your thoughts, your mind, your heart. And so it's, it's a very graphic way of describing how God inscripturates his truth through the mind of men and women as they wrote the scripture. It was God's words that they wrote. Yes, their vocabulary. Yes, their abilities. Yes, Paul's writings were much more highly intellectual but all of it is scripture, whether it's Peter, Luke, Paul, whomever it might be. And it's inspired of God. It points to, that, that, that single word points to its divine origin and its divine power. Its divine power. 
I don't know if you, if you memorize scripture, we're going to talk about that in a little while, but this is one of the verses that uh, I think we all ought to memorize. In Hebrews chapter 4, listen to this, these words, for the word of God is living and active and sharper, you know this, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is able to judge. Was that me? Oh. I've dropped things before, so I'm just curious. The word of God is able to judge your thoughts and your intentions. You spending time in it? It can't, it can't do its work unless you're in it. If it's inspired, how do we treat it? How do we interact with it? What kind of time are we investing in that? So first we see that the scriptures are inspired. The second part of the verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, not only is all scripture inspired by God, but that it's profitable. And the word simply means it's useful. Useful for teaching or for doctrine. Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In four different ways is the scripture profitable. The first is, as I mentioned, through teaching, through doctrine. First, it's, it's useful to teach us. The, and and it, fundamentally, as we're growing in our relationship with Christ, it, it only happens as we're spending time in his word because that's where God, what God uses to teach us. In fact, in Romans chapter 15, in verse 4, if you want to write this one down and look at it later, um, Paul says that the scriptures were written for our instruction. It's because of what it is. It's God-breathed, and it's, it's our only source of doctrine. I've lost track of the number of conversations I've had with believers who who get their source of doctrine from the radio <laughs> through other books some of those are perfectly fine for shedding additional light or explaining and helping us to understand certain things but the Bible is our source of, the, of doctrine of what we believe and so spending time in prayer and reading the word of God and, and asking the spirit of God to be our teacher and to illuminate us and to teach us and then going to those other sources is the way for us to learn the doctrine that we need to learn. That's how it ought to happen. In fact, there's an excellent example of that very thing taking place in Acts chapter 17. And if you're turning back and forth with me as I jump around, you might want to turn to Acts chapter 17. And uh, we'll look at uh, verse 10 and 11 and I'll explain it a little bit. This is, this is an, a wonderful story of Paul's ministry. First in Thessalonica, and then on into Berea. So in Thessalonica, Paul got in trouble, like he always did. And he was preaching. And he got people wound up, which the gospel tends to do when preached appropriately. Because it brings people to the place where it's yay or nay. You believe or don't you believe? And at that time, in their culture, that stirred up a lot of people because they were making money off of the deities and the, and the, and, and, and the, the other religions. And Paul was preaching against them. 
So they got stirred up in Thessalonica and they, they um, arrested a few people and got them stirred up and brought in some of the, some of the, uh, the shop owners. And finally, um, Jason and others made a, made a pact with them and said, okay, we'll, we'll stop. And Paul moved along and left Thessalonica and he went to Berea. I would take it up in verse 10. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, <laughs> they did what Paul always does. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews and preached the gospel. Now what happened? Look at verse 11. Now these, who? The people in the synagogue, the Jews in the synagogue, listening to the message of the gospel preached by Paul and others. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Why? For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Now what that tells me is, is Paul was preaching and he was talking about the, the, the risen Christ. And he was proving that what, who, who Jesus was and is was proven through the Old Testament. And what did the Jews do? They said, we're going to check. And they went to the word and they studied the word and they found the truth of, God, of Paul's message. And that's the heart's desire that you and I need to develop. That's the desire we ought to develop. That the scripture is profitable for teaching, for learning, for doctrine. And that we spend time in the word like the Bereans did. We hear something on Sunday morning or we hear something in our Bible study or we learn something in our own personal time and we investigate, we study, we, we figure these things out. We hear something on Sunday morning that just, it just doesn't jive. And we ask questions of those that maybe said it for certain. But then we study the word. And the spirit of God takes this powerful book, a unique book, endued with, with the, 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 the power of God. And he teaches us. So the word of God is profitable for teaching Back in 2 Timothy chapter 3 again. Not only, is it not only is it profitable or adequate for teaching, but it's for reproof as well. The word reproof here um, is probably best defined as criticism of a fault or concerning a fault. And it's useful, this reproof that the Bible is able to accomplish for us is useful in two ways. The first is through reproving false teaching in the church. And when we read 2 Timothy 3, we saw that in the last days, those types of men are going to come and they're going to want to teach and they're going to want to uh, push doctrines that are unbiblical and we've got to reprove them. We need to have those men that are, that are in, in, uh, in certain contexts, men and women that are, that are capable in teaching the word of God and discerning doctrine to be able to stand in the gap for us and to protect the church. It's what they do. It's why God gifted them in the way that he has. They're not unique. They're not special. They're not different in any other way from us. But they're simply those that God has brought and given to the church to protect us. We'll see that in a little while when we look in Ephesians chapter 4. But reproof can mean also reproving us individually concerning sin that we need to get out of our lives. And so what's that saying is, when you spend time in the word of God, 
The Spirit of God will reveal to you as you read and you study and you pray. He will reveal to you those areas of your life, some that are obvious and some that are not. Areas in your life that he wants to work on, that he wants you to set aside. Attitudes at work or, or attitudes toward your spouse or toward your children or, or just uh, 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 an activity that you're involved in that may not be as godly as you'd like for it to be. And he reveals that to you as you, as you walk through the word. That's the Spirit of God reproving you through the use of the word of God. Don't set those reproofs aside. But work through them. Leave them at the cross. Ask for God's power to have victory over those things. And as we go through 2 Timothy 3, we'll see ways to do that. But reproving can be not only the false doctrine that sneaks into the church. And beloved, I want to tell you, it does all the time. And we must be vigilant to stand on the word of God and to stand on its proper, correct teaching. And not allow false doctrine to sneak into the church, whether it's internally or from outside. But it's also reproving me as I read his word and I see and the spirit of God reveals something for me to see that's in my life, an attitude, an action, uh, something I've already done, something I'm planning to do, whatever it might be. And he reproves me and challenges me, convicts me to change my life. When's the last time you were in the word and that happened to you? Recent? I dare say it's probably daily, if you're, if you're like me. As you spend time in his word, he's going to open those things up because our goal is our sanctification, becoming more Christ-like as we walk through this life. So we don't read the word to become more intellectual. We don't read the word necessarily to just learn more about it. We read it because it's powerful and living and active and able to change our lives as we allow it. And we allow the Spirit of God to be our teacher as we walk through it. So it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, it says. For correction. Pointing, in, the, the reproving is, is, the, is the hard one. It's the challenging one. It's the, it's the, it's the painful one. The correction is, is like bringing you back on track. It's the word of God is also there to, to point you, to point the way back. I love to hunt. Many of you know that. Many of you also know the, the fact that I missed one a few weeks ago. <laughs> Such a challenge. Years ago, when I used to go hunting, I would use these paper maps that uh, I would draw where I was at and where I had parked and where I was going. And I would always get lost. Always. I'd be spend an hour just trying to find my truck after the hunt was over. And if you hunt until dark, trying to find your truck after dark can be a challenge. You know what they have now? They have software. Hunting software. It has a map on it. When I park the truck, I go, truck. And then I'm walking through the day, and it tells me where I'm walking. In. And I, at the end of the day, it's like, where's the truck? Well, the truck is three miles that way. you got to go this way. And I find my truck. That software is my correcting software. It points me in the way I need to go, and I go in that direction, and I get where I need to be. And that's, in a very simplistic way, 
that part of what Second Timothy is talking about. God's word is correcting. It shows you the way you need to go. The reproving shows you something that needs to change, but the correction is, okay, now that you've, you've been convicted and you've confessed and you've set that aside, don't wallow in it. God wants you to find your way, to find your way back to be successful in that area of your life. And so the word of God will reveal to you those steps that you need to take, whether it's sharing with a brother or sister in Christ so they can pray for you, whether it's a passage of the, of the scripture that you need to memorize so that I can come to mind whenever that, whenever that sin is, is entangling you again and you remember this is, what, uh, this is what the Bible says about that. I've already learned this. I'm going in the direction that the word says I need to go. The word of God is correcting for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And then lastly, it says, it's, it's profitable for training in righteousness. You see it there? For training in righteousness. In other words, through teaching, through reproof, through correction, the Bible trains us to live righteous lives. Training in righteousness. This one can be the hardest of all because it's work. Study the word of God and be trained remembering over and over and remembering to do those things again and again so that they become habits in our lives. Basically, it's telling us, hey, look, set aside time each day to study the Bible. Whether it's engaging with groups or it's engaging with a Bible study that you're a part of or engaging here with the body and asking questions of your brothers and sisters, wherever it's at, engage in training in righteousness. That's the purpose for the discovery groups. Discovery groups are not just another opportunity for us to gather, though it's important that we do. Discovery group is an opportunity for you to be trained in righteousness. Fellowship, certainly. Open the word of God, absolutely. Some worship, maybe a, a, a snack or two. All of those things are important. But the main goal of the small group is to be trained in righteousness. That we might live our lives in righteousness for God. For training, for reproof, for correction, and for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 17 goes on and says this, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now Paul was writing to Timothy, so before we get ourselves too excited about this, yes, he was writing to Timothy. And so that's why he said, so that the man of God may be adequate. And certainly, Timothy, both first and second, are written to a pastor. And so, yes, Paul was speaking to this particular man or men who are involved in uh, that particular ministry that is outlined in 1 Timothy 3 and Acts chapter 6 and Titus, etc. However, these truths are true for men and women, just for believers, that the man or the woman of God may be adequate and equipped to do the work of God that they've been called to do, whatever it might be. And so verse 16 needs to be real in our lives so that verse 17 can be lived out. All right? We may be adequate and equipped. Paul tells Timothy that there's one 
chief, how should I put this? One chief purpose for which God intended the scripture to be useful, to bring about our spiritual maturity. And it's powerful to make that happen. It's not just another book that you set aside a few minutes to read like you're reading these other books or the New York Times or whatever it might be. It's the powerful book that allows you and gives you the privilege and the power to live for Christ. You've got to spend time in the book. It's where it's at. Now, Paul says two things here that I want to bring, bring out for you guys. He says that the man of God may be adequate and equipped. So first Paul says that it makes us adequate or, or complete might be another word that you could use there. Makes us complete. It makes us capable of doing God's work. Capable of doing God's work. Then he goes on and says that he, he equips us for every good work. In other words, the word, the word enables us to meet all the demands of godly living. The word does. You struggle with godly living? Whenever someone talks to me about that, or whenever I cry about the fact that I'm struggling with godly living, the Spirit of God reminds me, how you, how you doing with the book? <laughs> how you doing? You in it? Because that's my purpose for it, is your spiritual strength, your spiritual maturity. The right tool for the right job. was over at my neighbor's house uh, last week. Wonderful lady. Uh, and her daughter was there, and she had a flat tire. And uh, they could not break those lug nuts loose to save them. And me being me, I said, well, I can do it. I couldn't do it either. I went home and got my big four-way, you know, the big boy tool. Didn't work. So then I went home and got the big one. Because I've got a breaker bar that's, the guys will be going, oh, I know what you're talking about. I've got a breaker bar that's a monster. And that with a pipe, I can break anything off. Of course, you might spin it off, but I ended up getting that tire off. And they just thought I was just the tool man. <laughs> it was simply having the right tool for the right job. If you haven't got it, you're not going to break them loose. And, and by the way, I don't know who put those lug nuts on, but they need talk to because that was way beyond the torque that it should have been. Anyway, point is, I had the right tool, I got the job done. You've got the right tool sitting on your lap for righteous living. And that's where we spend our time. And we spend it together, opening it up together with gifted teachers, teaching it for us so that the Spirit of God can challenge and change us. And it's in our time in the Word individually so that we can see the, 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 the need for teaching, for reproof. As we're reading the Word of God, we're reproved. For correction, find our way back. And for training in righteousness so that we can be adequate and equipped to do what? Every good work. That means that God has got a specific work for you and I to do in our families, at our jobs, but most importantly, for the body of Christ. He gives us gifts, he gives us abilities, he calls us, and then he asks us to spend time in the Word so that we're more prepared and sharpened and ready to serve the body of Christ. 
as believers, will not see success in being equipped to serve the body of Christ until we're spending time in the Word, time in the book. That's where we get equipped. And just in passing, let me read another passage to you, if I may. I can't believe it's 5 to 11, but uh, we're going we're gonna to move along as quickly as we can. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 also talks about the equipping of the saints. In fact, I'll jump back up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, because I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this as well. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. Some say it says pastors and teachers, but there's a gift of pastor teacher. But listen to verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So the word of God is the tool. But one of the ways, maybe one of the most important ways that we get equipped is that we, we set under the influence and the teaching of gifted men that have been called by God and gifted by God to help equip us to do what? Well, verse 12 told us what? That we might be involved in the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ, you, will be built up when you are involved in the work of service because you've been equipped to do so by those gifted men that God brings. Equipping, so, so very important. So I wanted you to see this morning just how powerful and important that book is that's on your lap. No other book like it. But what do we do with all of this? And I have just a few moments to share this with you. But I've got five things. If you've just been listening and you'd like to write now, now's the time. Because I've got five things that you can do, that you ought to be doing, that I ought to be doing, in order to prove and show the importance of the Word of God in my life. These are my goals. The first thing we do is we've got to read it. You spend time reading the Word? The second thing, not to run too fast. But the second thing is, is we need to meditate on it. Do you remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 1? That he meditates on the word of God day and night. Meditated on it day and night. Because he wanted it to impact his life. He wanted to know it. He wanted to live it. And so he not only read it, but he meditated on it. And that simply means ponder, think. God gave you a mind with clear thinking and an ability to do so. Read his word, think about it, ponder it. How do I apply this to my life? Meditate on God's word. It's not a metaphysical word. It's a simply a quiet pondering of the word of God and the truth that's there and how it could influence us if we simply will apply it. Read it, meditate on it. Have you ever prayed God's word? 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15 are a couple of my favorite verses. They say this, This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything, anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we've asked from him. There's a lot of alls and no's and so forth in those verses. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Obviously, those are a couple verses that, as a new believer, a long time ago, I committed those to memory. But did you hear what he said? This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, where's his will? Right here. It's right here. Pray his word, and it will happen. That's what he said. First John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. If we know he hears us in whatever we ask, Lord, help me to become more Christ-like. Help me to share my faith with my neighbor. Help me to be faithful to my wife, to my, to my spouse, to be the husband and the father that I need to be. Whatever it is. Is it God's will? Yes, it is. He hears you and he answers your prayer. Read it. Meditate on it. Pray it. Obviously, I'm going to say this one. <laughs> Memorize it. Right? Psalm 119, verse, verse 11. Thy word have I done what? Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you? Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How? By memorizing it, knowing it, spending time in it. But the, most, the, the greatest example of, of, of memorization came from the Lord Jesus himself. We talked about this a few weeks ago. In Matthew 4, when he was tempted, what did he do? He, he called down power from on high. No. Could he have? Absolutely. What did he do? He had memorized the scripture, and when Satan brought the scripture to, to encourage him to sin, Jesus said, it is written. I shall not live by bread alone. It is written. Every time he confronted Satan, he did so with the word of God. Why? Because it was in his heart. He had spent time in the word. Yes, he was God Almighty. And man, all in one. But he spent time in the word. You know he did. And he brought it out when it came time for its need. And he used it to set Satan aside. What did Satan do? He fled. He fled because the powerful word of God is used in that manner. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart. You're struggling with an area in your life? Find the passages of scripture that deal with that, that encourage you and challenge you to set it aside. Hide those in your heart and bring them up when it's challenging. Read it. Meditate. Pray. Memorize. And maybe the toughest one. No, maybe not, but a good one. Study it. Get into it. Find out what the verbs mean. It's the last time you diagrammed a sentence. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. But study it. Something I learned early on in, in, uh, in school was the first question you ask when you come to the scripture is what does it say? Not what does it mean? And you don't go to commentaries until God has revealed to you what does that verse say? 
What does it say? Study. Study the word together. Read, meditate, pray, memorize, and study. And this powerful, powerful book, the most important book in our lives, the one that God has constructed and prepared and and has sat in your lap in order to cause you to grow in your relationship with him, waits for us to, to, to open and to study and to see it change our lives. I would encourage you all, all of you, as you have opportunity, make opportunity, study his word, because therein lies the power to change your life. Pray with me, please. Father, we know, we know that each one of us in this room are, have not gotten to the place where we'd like to be when it comes to your word. Spending the time that needs to be spent there and studying and praying and, and just listening to the conviction that comes as we read. Listening to the... Uh, the excitement and the, the joy that comes as we understand you even further, even more. And allowing you to change our lives as a result. So we pray today that as we leave this place soon, that the word of God would, 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 would take a special place in our schedule. That it would be something that we're spending regular time in. And that your spirit would challenge and change us as a result. Turn us into those people you need us to be. And that turning, that training in righteousness, comes as we spend time in all scripture. Because it's inspired. It's God-breathed. It's directly from your heart. Move us to read and to change. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, I want to close with this. If you would stand and let's read the word of God together. Listen to these words. Psalm 119, verses 10 through 16. With all my heart I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I've told, I have told of all of the ordinances of your mouth. I've rejoiced in, your, in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in the statutes. I shall not forget your word. Make that our prayer today as we release. It's been a joy being here and being a part with you guys today. Opening his word, worshiping. Thanks for singing along a cappella today. I hope it went all away. It went okay. We've got sandwiches to share together. They're here. But in addition to that, the kids are in the back, and they are making a welcome home banner for Kobe because he's in rehab now, but it's my understanding he's coming home this coming week. So they've asked us, as we're sharing our lunch together, if we could, if we could pause and wait, and they'll be bringing out this banner. Of course, they'll probably want a sandwich too. But they'll be bringing out this banner, and we all get to sign it so that when Kobe comes home, 
he can see uh, those, those of us that had opportunity to sign that and be a part of his homecoming. So meal is in the back. Let me pray for our meal. And then, uh, Tom, are you going to kind of walk us through? Ah, okay. Perfect, perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the food you provide. We know that all things are from your hand. We thank you for them. Ask that you might nourish us, bless our conversation, let our fellowship be righteous. Let our fellowship be challenging and encouraging and changing. We're grateful that we can all share this time together nourish us now we pray in Jesus name thank you for providing amen